Well, as I can see. <laughs> well, today we're um, looking at uh, John the Baptist. Um, the people ask uh, John who he is. And John replies, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So what is John saying about himself? Well, the first thing I think is that John is saying that he is the voice. I was speaking with a lady this week who said that her daughter had been invited for an interview by the TV program, The Voice, Gawless. Those of you who know the program will know that what is important about the contestants is not who they are or what they look like, because the judges don't know anything about them and they can't see them. All that matters at the beginning is their voice. John is very aware that he is simply a voice, the messenger. What is important about him is not who he is, but his voice. What is important is the message that he's come to proclaim. They ask him if he is the Messiah. He says no. He says no quite emphatically. The Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel, not to be confused, there's John the writer of the Gospel, there's John the Baptist who we're talking about, they're different people. The Apostle John wrote, he confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. So then they ask him if he is Elijah or the prophet. Malachi, in the Old Testament, prophesied that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, would return. And, and John the Baptist says, no, I'm not Elijah. That's a bit strange because John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, is told that his son would go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Jesus identifies John the Baptist as the Elijah who is to come. He speaks of John as the greatest of all the prophets. So it seems that others are aware that John the Baptist is that predicted figure who will come before the Messiah. But either John is not aware of it, or if he is, he's not letting on. I think that John knows that if he tells people that he is the Elijah figure promised in the Old Testament, then people will focus on him and they will not listen to the message. There's something extremely attractive about John's self-denying ministry. John tells his followers, I'm not even worthy enough to kneel down at his feet and untie his bootlaces. And when some of his followers start to speak of Jesus and are drawn to follow Jesus, John blesses them and he says, he must become greater and I must become less. And here in our reading he says, 
I baptize with water. And in the next few verses, he goes on and says, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's very easy for those of us in ministry to become obsessed with our own importance. That is particularly the case in a society which treats priests or pastors with respect. It's rather nice. (laughs) I've been called Sir, Your Grace, and Your Eminence. I have probably been called quite a few other things which I haven't been able to understand and which are probably unrepeatable. But it's very easy for churches to be built around personalities. I'm of Clive. I'm of Simon. I'm of Malcolm. But actually those in the ministry, whether pastors or priests or bishops or archbishops or metropolitans or popes, need to remember that we are nothing. I remember, I've already spoken of this a number of years ago, I was at a service at St. Edmundsbury Cathedral. We were saying goodbye to our diocesan bishop. He came into the church dressed in all his regalia. During the service, he took it all off and laid it at the foot of the cross. And he walked out simply as Bishop Richard, with none of the other titles. What is important about us is not us, but our message. We too are simply voices. And what is John's message? Well, we're told that in the very next verse after our reading. Here is the Lamb of God, he says, who takes away the sin of the world. If we're to be faithful, and now I'm speaking to all of us, then we are primarily voices and we point people away from ourselves and we point them to Jesus. Because it is Jesus who is the eternal Son of God who stepped from heaven to earth, from eternity into time, who became a human being because he loves us. It is Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. It is Jesus who offers forgiveness. It is Jesus who rose from the dead. It is Jesus who gives the Spirit. It is Jesus who is our Lord, our Saviour and our friend. And it is Jesus who takes us by the hand and who leads us into the presence of his Father so that his Father becomes our Father. So we need people like John the Baptist, people who see themselves as nothing, as nobody, but who know that God has given them a message. We need people who are prepared to simply be the voice. And then secondly, John the Baptist says he's come to cry out in the wilderness. We had a discussion in our confirmation group uh, about whether the church should be more professional in its approach to making the message known. Maybe we should, but I note that John the Baptist isn't. He didn't go to the center of population. He doesn't try to influence the movers and shakers of society. 
He doesn't have the equivalent of a high social or media profile. Basically, he doesn't do any of the things that I, rather pathetically, try to do. Instead, John goes out into the wilderness, the most remote place possible. He doesn't make it easy for people. He doesn't go out of his way to be nice to them when they come to him. Instead, he expects God to bring people to him. And when they come, he preaches an uncompromising message about repentance and changing the way that you live. And he baptizes those who are publicly willing to repent. He asks them to go down in the water. And he basically dunks them. It's not the way to win friends or influence people. And it actually was an approach that cost him his life. But the fact that he is in the wilderness is very significant. And I'm going to go so far as to say that we are never really going to meet with God unless we are prepared to be led by him into the wilderness. When John says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel who have experienced the terrifying judgment of God. They've rebelled against God, they've put their trust in false gods, and they've disobeyed him. And now they've been defeated and crushed. The temple has been destroyed, and the people have been taken away to Babylon into the desert. But Isaiah's message in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 40 is now not one of judgment, but of comfort. May I ask, has anybody seen the performance of the Messiah in the last uh, couple of, uh, this last week? One or two hands there. There is that famous aria, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Those are the opening words of Isaiah 40. Isaiah has come to declare to a people who are in the wilderness that God has not abandoned them, that there is forgiveness of sins, that there is hope, and that he will lead them into a new place of abundance. The wilderness is the place of judgment. It's the place where all the little gods in which we put our trust, money, status, strength, beauty, education. I was at Cambridge, I've been at MGU or wherever. Fitness, entertainment, sheer hard work, the mobile phone, music, family are taken away. It is the place where all the little goals that we give ourselves become rather meaningless. Because in the wilderness, there is really no point in trying to prove to the world, to the family, to ourselves, that we are somebody, that we are important. Because in the wilderness, we are not. We find ourselves stripped naked. We are brought face to face with ourselves, with our sinfulness, our pride, our inability to really love, the desires that overwhelm us, our sheer pathetic helplessness and our mortality. It does not have to be a literal wilderness, although some people find it is helpful 
to go away, right away from everything. Or when we fast, maybe, we can find ourselves walking into the wilderness. Or, and this is more often what happens, the wilderness comes to us. It comes to us in catastrophic failure, or in sickness, or depression, or abandonment, or bereavement. But the wilderness is also not only the place of judgment where our little gods are judged, it's also the place of comfort, the place where God comes to us. It's the place where God met with Moses. Do you notice God didn't really meet with Moses properly in Egypt? He met with Moses when Moses was in the wilderness by the burning bush. It's the place where God met with the prophet Elijah. Again, it wasn't when he had the great powerful contest, it was later when he was on his own on Mount Horeb. It is the place where Isaiah was called to preach, where John went to preach. And the Son of God came to us at Christmas in the metaphorical wilderness. He was laid in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. He was crucified on a hill outside a city. And it's when we're in the wilderness that we begin to hear the word that comes from God. That word that tells us that we are beloved. The word that tells us that there is one we can turn to for help. That we can change and that we will be changed. That wherever we are, we have a hope and a future. I've spoken quite a lot about Michael who had motor neurons disease and who died earlier this year. For the last year of his life, Michael had to sleep with an oxygen mask on his face. When the oxygen mask was on, he could not make himself heard. And since he could not move anything, he was completely cut off from the outside world. Nobody would hear him if he cried out. That strikes me as being pretty extreme wilderness. And yet he spoke to me about how those times were both very dark and yet very special. He was at that, those times, he said it was only him and God. And those were the moments when he had to be totally dependent on God. Thirdly, John has come to make straight the way of the Lord. It's very interesting that in John's Gospel, John the Baptist makes straight the way of the Lord, not by calling people to repentance, that, he does that in Matthew, Mark and Luke, but in John's Gospel, it's really very simple. He does that by simply being in the wilderness, baptizing people, and pointing them to Jesus. A few weeks ago, Alison and myself visited the Tretyakov Gallery. We whisked through the first few rooms because we wanted to get to the, ancient, the section of the ancient Russian paintings, and particularly the icons. I really wanted to see Rublev's Trinity. I didn't know any shortcuts, so we had to go through the whole process. But as we walked past one gallery, we looked in and we saw this. 
It is a huge canvas. It, is, it takes up a whole wall. It's even of opus magnus of 20 years, uh, uh, and it's called The Painting of the Appearance of Christ Before the People. We stopped and spent about 20 minutes, maybe longer, with this painting. It is remarkable. John is pointing people to Jesus. Behind him are, are the apostles John, uh, in the, with the red hair, Peter, Andrew, and dressed in blue, the rather reluctant and pensive Nathaniel. On the right are the soldiers and the Pharisees. And in the center, walking towards them, is Jesus. John sees Jesus coming towards him and declares, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's verse 29. And in case you don't get it, in verse 36, John says to Andrew and another disciple, look, here is the Lamb of God. The faces on this uh, painting are remarkable and well worth a study. The two of the faces that particularly stand out for me are the face of the slave and the face of an old man. The old man is being helped to his feet, uh, and the, the face the slave has clearly been um, helping his master to dress. Uh, you know he's a slave because he's got the rope round his neck. Uh, his master is the one with uh, no clothes on on your right, uh, looking very, um, as they say in the, uh, in the art history, looking very filled out, whereas the slave's looking very thin, very hudenki. Um, and um, uh, clearly the master's been baptized, we're not sure whether the slave has. And yet on the face of both the slave and the face of the old man, there is that look of joy as they hear John's message pointing them to Jesus. You see, John the Baptist points those in the wilderness to Jesus. And Jesus has come to bring joy to those in the wilderness, to those who are enslaved, to those who are in struggling with declining health. He brings joy to those who need God. Today we are called to make straight the way of the Lord. And we do that by being a voice and by speaking to those who are in the wilderness. So I want to finish simply by speaking to those who do find themselves, for whatever reason, in the wilderness. I speak to those of you who have begun to realize that you will never find joy in the little gods and goals that we build our lives on. I speak to those of you who have become aware of your sin, and your need for forgiveness, your desperate need for forgiveness. I speak to those of you who are aware of your own brokenness and your need for God. And like John the Baptist, like Alexander Ivanov, 
I would point you to the one who offers forgiveness, who offers power to change, who offers peace, who offers intimacy, and who offers hope. I point you to Jesus.